0: Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we want to thank and praise you for your goodness, for protecting us and allowing us to assemble here together. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you have blessed us with. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand that we need to be more dependent upon you and to trust you for every moment of each day that we live. We ask you to bless and work in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. Amen. That's a blessed song, and thank you very much, Brother Zach. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Well, there you go. Thank you, John. Thank you. And most of us are somewhat familiar. This is one of the reasons why we do uh, what we do in our Sunday school time to go through the stories of the Bible. And uh, we'll probably get to the book of Esther sometime uh, towards summer, maybe maybe in the early fall. Not sure exactly when it's going to come in, but uh, it'll be several uh, months down the road and uh, i'd like for us not to spend so much time on the story of the book of esther this morning uh but on some things that uh, i believe the lord would have us uh understand and, and to uh learn from the book of esther the things that are put in the bible are put there for a purpose a reason there are there is something that god is trying to teach us and help us to understand uh, and uh, we'll take a, a few moments and go through the story and then, uh, by God's grace, spend the, the most of our time on the things that I believe the Lord would have us to learn. Uh, before we get into the story, the book of Esther is one of the unique books in the Bible. It is the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. Uh, and uh, people have... Uh, said over the years well this book really doesn't belong in the Bible because the name of God is not in the book and uh, I I want to challenge you as we go through uh, God doesn't have to sign his name for us to know that it came from him amen. Uh, there's so many things in this book that only God could be responsible for. And we're just going to pick up a few little bits and pieces. So, verse one, chapter, uh, of chapter one, it says, Now came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over a hundred and twenty, uh, uh over hundred and seven and twenty providences. That in those days when the king Ahasuer sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the providences being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom in the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred... And fourscore days. So the first thing we see here was the greatness of the kingdom of Ahasuerus. Uh, He gave a feast roughly for six months. Now, how many of you could use a six-month paid vacation? Uh, uh, I don't think anybody would argue with that. And... uh, Yet we know that that's not very practical uh, because you got to pay your bills and you cannot uh, you cannot not pay you cannot earn money when you're not working. And yet the state of the king was as such; the prosperity was to a level that he could literally put the entire kingdom on a six-month vacation and not have the economy collapse. I mean, could you imagine that? The amount of prosperity that had to be in place for the king to plan such an event. In the third year of his reign, he was established in and, and the kingdom. And, and so he does this for six months. And then he gives an additional one-week feast there right in Shushan, the palace, probably for all the people that had to work to make the six-month feast work. And, uh, and of course, we're not going to get into the details, but he decides that he wants to show off his queen as well as all of his riches. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of on Vashti's side in this argument. She said no. And... Uh, uh, which brings rise to an age-old problem. Let's just look at verse 17, chapter 1. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all the women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king of Hazarus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, and she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which have heard of the deed of the queen, then shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. Uh, does that sound like a modern day struggle to you? Uh, who's going to be in charge? And uh, I'll tell you, it goes both ways. The, the Bible has the answer to this thing. It says, husbands, love your wives as your own selves. If, if a husband would do that, the wife would not have a big problem obeying. Uh, but the, uh, this was a secular and wicked society and, and of course, so they, uh, the king, uh, divorced the queen and, and, and put, set her aside in widowhood for the rest of her life and, uh, then made a decree and let's look at it here. Uh, For he sent letters in verse 22, he sent letters into all the king's providence, into every providence, according to the writing thereof and to the people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house and that it should be published according to the language of every people. I had a guy call me up uh, a while back and a man I knew and I understand the, the reasoning behind what he's trying to do. And he says, we We need a constitutional amendment to ensure that parents will be parents to their children. And I said, you know, I said, I'm for parents being parents to their children. But if they're not being parents on their own, a constitutional amendment is not going to solve anything. And i every time I read this uh, we we meet in a synagogue, and i 'm reminded of some of the funny little stories that had developed over the years. Uh, we had one of the uh, former rabbis visit and and he and his wife and another gentleman were with them and and they said, "We want to know what you did in the basement and uh And so I I explained to them how that we got rid of the rotten floor that was down there and poured in three inches of concrete and had a crew come out from our home church in Cleveland to do a lot of the labor there. And all of a sudden, Mrs. Rabbi just lit in to Mr. Rabbi. I told you that's what we should have done. You And I mean, she read him the riot act. And I'm sitting here going... This is so great. Some of you remember, there used to be walls down the sides. And they made the ladies sit on the sides. And the rabbi that took over, was officiating the sale of the property, he said, these guys were so nuts in running the synagogue... They wouldn't even put the lady's name on the deeds to their grave. They put it under the husband's name or their father's name. He said, I had to send somebody out to the graveyard to look up the names so I could find out who was buried where in the records. And yet, the men were so in charge that Mrs. Rabbi just took Mr. Rabbi to town. Let me tell you something. You're not going to solve these problems with the law or a set of laws, these issues have to be solved in the heart. And we're going to have these issues as long as we have people that do not surrender to God. Now, is that an excuse for anybody in this church to behave unseemly and improper uh, toward authority and a thing? No. We need to do what's right. And if you want to know the theme of the book of Esther, it's simply this. You have to be doing what's right when no one's looking or God is not going to do what only he can do when you need the miracle. You, you think you can get away with it now and maybe you will, but there's going to come a time when you're not going to get away with it. And so we have this going on in this struggle, and in, in this struggle, the the office, the, the position of queen is vacated, and uh, the king is sitting there. And of course, you have to understand that the, this was a, a Persian kingdom, modern-day Iraq, the... Stories of the harems and many wives and all of that. I mean, so much of that came from this part of the world. And uh, this was a great king. and But the office of queen had been vacated. And so uh, Ahasuerus is sitting there going, wow, what am I going to do? And they said, well, let's have a beauty pageant and uh, we're going to get together the most beautiful young women in the kingdom and you're going to get your pick king and, and you read that story there in Exodus I mean Esther chapter 2 and you're sitting there going what man in his right mind would want anybody that he knows to be participating in this thing we, we do not know whether Esther was picked to be a part of this or whether Mordecai was sitting there in the background pulling strings and making sure that the right person got to see Esther and that she was picked to be a part of this thing. We, we, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But knowing the little bit that the book of Esther tells us about Mordecai, he was the kind of guy that was pulling strings. He says, here's an opportunity. And uh, make a long story short, what what I would like to call one of the greatest manipulations in history happened. Here we're in a Persian, the Medes in the Persian Empire, and a Jewess becomes the queen. Now, how in the world could you explain that? I mean... We, You know we believe that god 's unseen hand was moving in all those events, but i I believe too that Mordecai was moving in all those events that he was there trying to work this thing out, and i 'm sure that he was doing everything in his power and and, and you read the story there how that esther uh Uh, was involved in all of these months of purification and perfumes and all of this, and yet the night before she went into the king, she required nothing but was already given to her. Uh, I'll tell you something. There is something to be said for innocence and simplicity. There's just something to be said for it. We we live in New York City here, of course, and we're supposed to be the definition of, uh, of society and all of these things. Uh, but I'll tell you something. There's something to be said for innocence. For just not knowing a lot of things that the world knows. I mean... Don't you think there was some competition in this among these women who are waiting to see the king? And I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that we would not even want to think about going on. But Esther somehow kept herself apart from all of those things. How in the world did that happen? How do you live in this desperately cutthroat, situation because if the king did not choose you to be queen guess what you got moved to the second house of women and you're going to spend the rest of your life living there almost in widowhood that's the way things worked this this was not a play a win-win situation if you lost you lost everything you lost your entire future And yet Esther refused to participate in all of these things. I'll tell you, there's only one way that you can live in the world and not be a part of it, not fight with the world. You've got to have your heart focused on something other than achievement in the world. Amen? Now, how Esther did that could only be by the grace of God. But somehow she stayed simple and innocent in spite of all the crazy stuff that was going on around her. And God used that because real beauty is not in what you look like after your makeup is on. Now, ladies, if I offend you, I'm sorry, but real, real beauty is something that is there all the time. My wife has taught on the meek and quiet spirit. That is not welcome in New York City. It's not part of our culture here. But let me let me explain something to you. If Esther had not had that. She would have just been another pretty face in the crowd. You see, what set her aside was the fact that she was humble and she was surrendered. And even though that she was preferred above many of the other women, she didn't let that go to her head. Uh, read the story there that she was put in the best place and, and given preference and all of this. You know, oftentimes what happens is somebody gets thinking a little better of themselves than they ought to. If you want an example of this, look at our professional sports players. If we have anything called royalty today, it happens in two places. It happens on the playing field and in, in the movie studio. And just because you can throw a ball or catch one, I still don't understand this part about baseball, how that you can fail two-thirds of the time and still be considered uh, for a multi-multi-million-dollar contract. I mean, uh, somehow wish we could apply that to the rest of life, right? No. Uh, it's because it's not real. Games are not for real. Ho- nothing in Hollywood is for real. Even when they tell you this is based on a true story. Lies. There's nothing comes out of Hollywood that's true. And Esther kept her simplicity and her innocence and her true beauty in spite of all the other things and she becomes the queen. Now, here's something in the story that I think we need to get. As soon as Esther becomes the queen, what do we have happening? Uh, Let's uh, look here in verse 17. It says, Then and the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all of his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release in the providences and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. Esther did not think above herself. She remained Esther. And you know something? There's, there's a whole life of living right there. And, and we're only starting the story. But Mordecai, he began, it paid off. Esther is the queen. We we will have peace as Jewish people because no matter what happens, all i got to do is i got to get Esther to go to the king and we're safe. Is that ever true? I mean, remember the parable Jesus told of the rich fool. He said, thou hast many things tear down your barns and build new. And he said, eat, drink, and be merry. For I have things laid up for many years. And God said, Thou fool, for this night shall thy soul be required of thee. You see, Mordecai thought, we're in the gravy. It's, that's what they said in Maryland. When you got lots of gravy, you're doing very well. And uh, he said, we, we've got it. We're settled. I'm going to sit in the king's gate. And then something else happened. As Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, he was not just twiddling his thumbs and saying, everybody look at me. Two of the king's chamberlains, the men that kept the door that had access to the king. So you have to understand that the gate was a huge area. It was the court. It it would be the equivalent of what you and I call city hall today. There would be hundreds of people in the gate at any given time and when the king would give judgment and rule and and give decrees that that's where he would often go to do it so this was a this was not just a door into the city this was uh city hall this is and this is what Jesus meant when he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church he's talking about the authority and the and the government of hell, the the, the the force and the decrees of hell would never contradict Jesus' church. And as Mordecai sat there in his exalted position, he heard about these two guys planning to assassinate the king. Now, Mordecai was not only seeking the good of his people, the Jews, by advancing Esther... Mordecai was also seeking the peace of the Persian and the Median Empire. Why? Because Jeremiah, I believe it was, had told them that this captivity is going to be long and you seek the peace of the place where you're sent so that it will be well with you. And Mordecai was following those biblical commands. And he said, if somebody attacks the king... We're going to have problems. There's going to be unrest. and not only that, uh, my wife my daughter, uh, my daughter, he raised Esther as his daughter, she was actually his cousin. Um, he, he took care of her. she would no longer be queen. And so he sent the message to her, and she sent the message to King, and the inquiry was made. And Mordecai's name was written down in the book as the man who saved the king's life. And you know what the king did? He got up the next day and went on with his business as if nothing ever happened. And you know what? There's a lot of people when they don't get uh, receive recognition and do reward for things that they do, they get bitter and upset and all of that. You know what? Mordecai didn't. He just kept doing What was right. You see God had this whole thing all planned out already. He knew exactly what was going to happen. You see anytime we get complacent and we get satisfied and we get to a point to where we think everything is working good. We've just opened the door for the devil to step in. In the book of Esther, his name was Haman, the Agagite. How many of you remember where that name Agag came from? We just had it in Sunday school a few weeks ago with King Saul. He was supposed to kill all the Amalekites, and he saved the king. And what was that king's name? Agag. Now this was hundreds and hundreds of years later. And I can't prove that there was some connection but out would you willingly take the name Agagite? Not me. I mean he almost gagged when you say it, but I mean there is there there was probably A connection there somewhere that this Haman was an Amalekite. Maybe the great, 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 grandnephew of Agag or something like that. And he took that title and he hated the Jews. And he was promoted. And the king had made a commandment and said, everybody must bow and worship Haman. Well, Haman loved that. Now you see, the Bible tells us honor to whom honor. But worship is something that belongs to God. Amen? It is not wrong to honor people that uh, not only deserve it, but hold a high office. Uh, do not disdain uh, our president just because he is wrong about so many things. Let me tell you something. He is still the president of the United States. I didn't like it when they called uh, President Bush. Uh, Bush said this and Bush said that. No, that's demeaning the office. We shouldn't do that. But we don't worship the president. We don't worship the government. We worship God. Amen. And Mordecai said, listen, I can give you honor, but I can't worship you because I'm a Jew and that belongs to God. Haman didn't like that. And someone said, well, well if, if Mordecai had been just a little nicer. Maybe things would have been different in the book of Esther. Well, uh, let me explain something to you. Compromise never solves a problem. You cannot solve a problem by compromising. If you want to study it in history, study the issue of slavery in the United States. They compromised and compromised until 600,000 Americans died. Then slavery was abolished. There wasn't much compromise on the battlefield, my friend. And there is no compromise in our service for God. And Haman thought not only to get rid of Mordecai, but he would get rid of all the Jews. You see... There's an issue here that we call pride. And any time you allow pride into your life, you're inviting the devil himself to come in and guide you in your decision making. And Haman became the single tool in his hand trying to destroy all of the Jewish people. Well, Mordecai says, Esther, do something! And Esther says... What can I do? I haven't even seen the king in over a month. Now, that sounds strange to us, but that's the way things were. That was the situation at hand. And the the king had put in this special little rule that if you came in to see the king and he didn't want to see you or be bothered with you, you just died. I mean, that's the kind of despot the kings of Media and Persia were. If, If you displeased them, if you told a bad joke, if you did something distasteful or embarrassing at the table, you could pay for that with your life. And Esther said, I'm not going to depend upon my beauty and the king's affection for me. Because I understand that if the king's in a bad mood, I'm going to die just like Vashti did. I mean, he already removed one queen. Why wouldn't he remove another one? And so she says, I'm going to fast for three days and three nights, and you're going to fast for three days and three nights. Now, who were they fasting to? I mean, God's name's not mentioned in the book. But it certainly wasn't uh, the gods of Media and Persia. They were Jews. It was the God of the Bible. They were fasting and praying and asking and entreating God. And I I just love the way the story works and how God put everything together. Because even if Esther had gone to the king the first day and said, save my people. Things wouldn't have worked out very well. But Esther, being a woman, she walks up and she touches the tip of the king's scepter and says, I want you to come to a special luncheon I've prepared for you today. Well, what do you want, Esther? What do you want? Well, if you come to our, our special banquet that I prepared for you, I'll tell you. And so the king comes and says, "What is it, Esther?" I mean, he's just like a little boy. And uh, ladies, don't do things to manipulate, but you you can get what you want if you do it the right way. I mean, and, and Esther comes, and the king and Haman are there, and, and and they're having a great time. He says, "What is it? What is it?" He says. Uh, my first request is that you would come back tomorrow and then I'll tell you. I mean, talk about building anticipation. And the king is just sitting there going, okay, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And uh, so the king is there taking care of all the other things and goes on about the business of state. and, And that night, he can't sleep. Do you know, if this didn't happen in the order it happened in, the story could have been completely different. Read the story. The king already had great anticipation. And he couldn't sleep. And so he said, bring me something boring to read. The records of state. And so they're going through here and says... On this day, the king took in so much money. And the king goes, yeah, yeah, I like that part. And then they get to the part where it says, And two of the king's chamberlains sought to uh, lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And Mordecai, the Jew that sits in the king's gate, found out about it and reported to Esther, the queen, who certified in Mordecai's name. And the king uh, was able to thwart their efforts. And the king's going, whoa, wait a minute, I don't remember that. He said, Did did I ever say thank you? And, of course, the the people who were reading the records couldn't say, of course not. Uh, but that would have been the actual result. I mean, why would the king say thank you for anything? He was the king, you know. And, and they said, no, nothing has been done, O king. And the king goes, wow, i got to do something. And we can tell what kind of king he was. Because he can't think of anything himself. I mean, there's something to be said for being elevated to the level of incompetency. I mean, that just happens in the real world. And, and I, I think is qualified for that statement, don't you? He says, wow, I can't even think of how to say thank you. Who's in the, who's in the court? Now, while all this was going on, God had used Haman's invitation to the the banquet and the king's assent to Haman's plan for the destruction of the Jewish people. Everything that Haman wanted, he got. Except one thing. Mordecai the Jew. He will not give me reverence, worship, that the king's commanded. And so his family comes up with an idea. Let's build a scaffold 50 cubits high. That's 75 feet. Seven and a half stories tall. Why would you build it that high? So everybody in the city could see the dead body hanging there. And know the power that belonged to this man named Haman. And be afraid of him. And so, how, how do you build a, a, a 75 foot scaffold in one day? I mean, you got to have a whole crew of people up there. I mean, it's not just two sticks of wood. I mean, this was something that had to be supported and and strengthened and made so that it wouldn't collapse. And uh, if you're going to hang somebody, the hangman's got to get up there too. I mean, there had to be a platform up there and all kinds of things. And Haman is getting this thing all built. And he apparently gets it all built in one day. And he goes in. Maybe now it's two or three o'clock in the morning and he's got everything in readiness and he goes in to ask for the life of Mordecai and the king had just finished reading how Mordecai had saved his life. Who but God could work that out? If it had not happened that way, what would be the impetus Or the reason for the king to save the Jewish people. See, Mordecai had been faithful not only to God, but unto King Ahasuerus and to Esther the queen. He had been faithful, as the Bible says, in all his house. And so the king's sitting there and he's going, hey, Haman. What should happen to the man whom the king delights to honor in? Now, of course, Haman only had one thought. The king has promoted me. The king has given me everything I wanted. The king has allowed me to come to the banquet with him and the queen alone. The king has done it. Who in the world would the king like to glorify more than me? You know, this is what pride always does, isn't it? And he says, man, what would I like have done to me? Ah, there we go. I would like to wear the king's clothes. Bring one of the robes of the king and put it on me. Oh, that would feel so good. And, and let one of the king's mighty princes, not just the normal guys. I mean, one of the top-notch guys. And I'm sure that Haman had already thought, uh, maybe Memucan or one of those guys would be the man to lead him through the streets of the city of the palace of Shushan and, and and proclaim before him and let him ride on the king's own horse and all of these things. And the king looks at him and says, hey, take everything and go find Mordecai the Jew that's in the gate and do it to him. Uh, I love what it says here. Uh. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. It says, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. So everything you said, I want it done. I want it done right. And so Haman is there proclaiming. Thus it is done to the man whom the king delights in. But I want to kill him. But he knows that Mordecai is perfectly safe now. There is nothing that he can do. He goes having his head covered and Mordecai is just sitting there going, Wow, this is pretty cool. But the best part had yet to happen. Because no sooner had Haman got home and finished crying like a little baby to his wife and his counselors than the, uh, than the messengers from the king take and usher him into the presence of the queen And and the queen is there and the king has built all of this anticipation. Now, Esther, you made me wait three days. Now, I want to know what it is. And she says, I just want to live. And my people. And the king says, what? He said, if they had just sold us for slaves, I I wouldn't have said anything. but, But the wicked enemy wants to kill me and kill all of my people. Now, here's the king that had just given a six-month vacation several years back. This is a period of, this is like the tenth year. About seven years have passed. And he's sitting there going, Who would try to kill my queen in the palace? Who would try to take the people of my queen and destroy them? Who in their right mind would have that kind of power against me? And the queen looks and says, right there, the wicked Haman. And the, queen, the king gets up and walks out of the room and Haman is so flabbergasted. He stumbles over himself and ends up falling on the couch the queen's sitting on. And so when the king comes back, there's Haman laying across the couch on which the queen's sitting. And he goes berserk. And the guards come in and they put the hood over Haman's head so that the king never has to see it again. And one of the guards that says, you know, Haman here built a gallows 75 feet high in his backyard to kill Mordecai, who has spoken good for the king. Now the king understands that Mordecai, as a Jew, was nothing like Haman defined them to be. But it actually saved the king's life. And Haman is killed. And Esther again pleads with the king. And the king says, listen, the laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. But Mordecai, here's my ring. Write whatever you want to reverse it. See, people say things, but they don't really mean what they say. Isn't that true? The laws of the Medes and Persians were reversed. And to this day, the the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Purim, which is out of the book of Esther. Celebrating the fact that God saved them from destruction. You know what? The book of Esther belongs in our Bible. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't want to be long, but I want us to think about a few things. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're, we're not part of the world system in which we live. Amen? We're, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Let's, let's be careful... And, of course, I, I think I could preach a whole sermon on this one subject. Let's let's be careful, as Esther was at the beginning of the story, not to try to compete with the world, even though we're living in it. You know what? It won't hurt you. Jesus said, to the, said it this way, Be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. You know we, we've got to put our faith and trust in this book called The Bible and stop trying to compete with the world. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, by God's grace, we'll never have a rock band up here on the platform because we're not competing with the world. Uh, we're not going to try to trick you into coming to church. I hope and pray the only reason you're here is to hear the preaching of God's Word and to sing songs in praise to Him and be challenged from this book to allow God to change who and what you are so that you can serve Him better during the coming week. That's that's what church is about. and And we need to be careful. You know, Esther obeyed Mordecai even though she was a grown woman. And as far as we understand... Mordecai would have been at least in his 80s, if not his 90s, or even over 100 years old at this point. He was in Jerusalem uh, 70 years prior to the Medes and Persians, and the is down the line just a little bit there. And and so we we have Mordecai as an ancient man. And Esther is... A young, beautiful woman who could have taken advantage of all the things that she was given to have her own way in this world and refused to do so. She simply obeyed Mordecai. You know what? There's something to be said for simple obedience to the Word of God. Amen? It's not a complicated thing, my friend. And yet it has... Incredibly complex and far-reaching ramifications. The entire government of the Persian and Mede empire was influenced by two people who tried to obey God's word. How many of you would like to see things change in the United States toward the right? Well, I'll tell you what. It's not going to happen because of legislation. It's not going to happen because of the Supreme Court. You need to be praying that the Supreme Court makes the right decision. But, but I have no faith in the men and women that sit on that court to make the right decision. God's going to have to move their hearts. And we're talking about the issue of sodomite marriage. that's before the court this session. You need to be in prayer about that. But even if the court makes the right decision, that's not going to solve the problem. I'll tell you what will solve the problem. It's when my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray. That, that's when God will work. And that's what we had happening in the book of Esther. Amen? You see, we have the promise of God that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church. But if you were here last Thursday night, the week before, we talked about those letters to the seven churches. God expects some things from His church, and we we need to be where we ought to be. We need not fear the world, but even when things are going exactly the way we would hope and pray, our dependency must be upon God and not upon the things that are going on in the world. You see, the devil will never quit working. And that's why Christians need to never quit being obedient. Now, what I want you to do in the next couple of minutes, in your mind, would you think about some things that God would have you personally do to be obedient to His Word? Could I give you a hint? How about your 2015 Bible reading schedule? Maybe we need to. You say, but Pastor, I'm already so far behind. Start today. Just start today. But but I'm going to fail. I know I am. Well, that's okay. Just start tomorrow. Keep. You got to keep at it. There may be somebody here that's not saved today. You know what? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off, my friend. If you're saved, the next thing is baptism and church membership. You ought to just be obedient to the Lord. It's not a complicated thing. It's just simple obedience. In a few moments, we're going to pass the offering plate. I praise the Lord for what God has done for our church But are we being obedient? How about at work tomorrow? Are we living that simple, honest, innocent life for Christ? Or are we trying to compete with all the things that are going on in the world? You cannot outworld the world as a Christian. Not going to happen. So, what you better do is get a hold of Christ. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. Let's take a moment and I'd like you just to think of some of the things. Let the Holy Spirit write that list. I could give you all kinds of ideas, but in my humanity, I'll miss yours. And I don't want the Holy Spirit to miss yours, so pray. In a few moments, we'll sing.